Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is good. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Thanks be to God. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for this wonderful psalm of praise. And may as we enter this new week and as we worship you this morning, may we know in increasing measure your goodness, your love, and your faithfulness. In Jesus' name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. That's a verse that I want to keep repeating this morning, and a verse that I want you to take into this week. There are, I think, some benefits of getting older. Not, not many. And there are some big disadvantages, but there are some benefits. And perhaps one is that we, we, have, we build up over our lives an increasing bank of memories of God's love and faithfulness to us. And we reflect on them. We reflect on some of the really difficult times of life. And we reflect on some of the people who've have come, we've come in touch with who've really impacted on our lives. And we reflect on how God, through it all, has been faithful. I, I identify so much, and I'm sure you do too, with, with the wanderings of the children of Israel. They've been redeemed by God. They've been freed out of captivity in Egypt. And here they enter on this journey uh, through the wilderness, a journey that could have taken some weeks but took 40 years. 40 years in which uh, God... Forty years of many failures, a complaining, a haphazard sort of journey, really. But forty years in the wilderness when they, then they gradually realized that God provides for them day by day. It took many years for that to sink in. And they knew his love, his forgiveness, and his faithfulness all through those years. A life of faith does not come naturally. It requires nurturing. I suppose it's like learning a language or, or learning a musical instrument. It requires time and effort and determination. Hebrews 11 is a, a well-known passage. You'll remember that passage that speaks of uh, the, faithful, the faithfulness of uh, the faith of some of the Old Testament characters. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. Jacob. 
Moses, and, and so on, Samson, Rahab, people who were very flawed in their lives. They, they were not, in many ways, great examples sometimes, but they discovered the faithfulness of God, and we're encouraged to learn from their example. And then verse 12, uh, sorry, chapter 12, begins by encouraging us to draw on their experience. Therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and fix our eyes on Jesus. So I doubt that any of these people would regard themselves as heroes. They're not described as heroes. They're described as witnesses, witnesses to God's faithfulness, witnesses to the fact that God really can be trusted. Now, I'm sure we've all been blessed by such individuals that we've come in contact with. And I want to mention just two that came into our lives uh, back in the 1980s and early 90s. We've been encouraged in this series to reflect on, on someone who's, who has made a real impact on us. So inevitably, this is a kind of uh, reflective and quite personal uh, sort of message rather than the usual kind of sermon series. Peter and Elizabeth Gilbo spent 40 years uh, as missionaries working in Bible translation uh, and education in Rwanda. And they came uh, in the late 80s to live in Bradfield where we lived. So we went to the same church and we had the privilege of being in the same life group. Uh, by then, they were probably around their, their mid-70s by that stage. I think I seem I recall they met at Oxford uh, in, the 19, in the late 1930s and really felt God was, was calling them uh, to serve him in, in Rwanda, in Africa. And they spent 40 years there. But what a privilege it was for us, uh, week by week, to be with them, to learn from them, and just to listen to their stories of their time in Africa, and in particular, of course, they had lived through the East African Revival, which centered in that uh, central part of Africa, and some of the most incredible stories. And they, they made uh, a deep, deep impact on our lives. I'll return to just how they impacted us at that time, but let me just sort of finish uh, their story. Uh, soon after the terrible genocide happened uh, in Rwanda in 1994, and you can imagine the impact that it had. It had a huge impact on the, on the mission, but on them as individuals, they knew many people who were killed, many people who lost, uh, lost loved ones. During that year, Elizabeth celebrated her 80th birthday. And sometime during the year, they read in their readings the story of Moses, who was called of God when he was 80. And they decided that God was calling them back to Rwanda. And they went back. And by then, Peter was pretty dottery, I have to say. I can't imagine even getting him up the steps into the aircraft, but off they went. And actually, the following uh, a year or maybe a year and a half later, he became increasingly frail 
and they came back to UK, and, and Peter passed away, uh, and in fact is buried in the church at Bradfield where Peter uh, married our daughter uh, four years ago. But that's not the end of the story, because less than one year later, and I remember by that time we were in Africa, but I remember getting a letter from, uh, that we got a letter from Elizabeth to say, she said, I've lost uh, Peter, he's, been, he's gone to be with the Lord, and I'm now a widow, but we've left behind many widows in Rwanda, so I'm going back. And at 83, she went back to Rwanda and started a, a group uh, for these widows. And very quickly, it built up to 400. And she had an amazing ministry at 83, 84, 85, back in Rwanda. What, a, what an amazing uh, couple they were. And by the way, um, it's their grandson is Simon Gilbo, who speaks quite often at New Wine. Uh, I think he preached here about three or four years ago. It was a, a family connection. A remarkable couple who witnessed to us continually while we were with them that God is good. His love endures forever and His faithfulness continues through all generations. So let me just go back then to that period when we were with them in particular uh, in the late 80s and 90s to share something of how they influenced and impacted our lives. At that stage, we went through some quite difficult times, and I think that um, combined with their influence, and of course, influence of other family and friends, led us to, I suppose, a point where we committed our lives, our future to God in a much more real and deeper way. And when we have these milestones on our journey, many of you will testify, it doesn't necessarily involve a change, a dramatic change of circumstances of life. But what it did in our case was uh, it led us to a place uh, of applying to the mission, to, uh, to our, the mission Mid-Africa Ministry a year or so later. So we went and we had some discussions with Mid-African Ministry as a part of, uh, it was a part of CMS. Uh, it used to be the old Rwanda mission, which was very much focused in that uh, East African revival region and, and has a lot of history to do with that. So we met and had various discussions, uh, similar like you would if you were exploring ordination. It's a similar sort of process. And I remember at one point in our discussions with the then General Secretary, we said to the mission, we, uh, we're happy to go anywhere. If, it, if this calling is right, we're, we're happy to go anywhere. Uh, we're happy to do anything, whatever you think is appropriate and helpful. And we're not signing up for a definite time period. If it's for life, it's for life. If it's for a few years, it, it's, it's, we're leaving that with God. But there's one condition. And the one condition is that we'll never send our children to boarding school. That was the only condition that we made 
when we went and had our discussions. Their children were young. They were only two and four, and that prospect was, uh, was beyond us. We couldn't, uh, we couldn't cope with that idea. So wind the clock on four years. Um, in the intervening period, we've been accepted by the mission. We spent a year, uh, nearly a year in Uganda. We came back and did two years uh, of training in Bible college. And then we were back in our placement in Kasizi Hospital in Uganda. Uh, we ended up, uh, Peter and Elizabeth had actually started teaching us Kinyugwanda, uh, the language of Rwanda, on the assumption that we would be there. But of course, the genocide uh, changed all of that. So we ended up at Kasizi Hospital um, in, in Uganda, where we met Ian Cunliffe at, at that stage. And for reasons that I needn't uh, sort of go into, we found ourselves at one point with a very, very stark decision to have to take. Either we just give everything up and come back to UK, or we send our children a thousand kilometers away to a boarding school in Kenya. There was no other, there turned out for a number of reasons to be no other choice open to us. A thousand kilometers over two days drive over very difficult and treacherous roads. So we asked God some very difficult questions. Um, had he taken us there under false pretenses? Uh, we had no telephones, so we knew that when they were there, we had no means of even contacting them. Uh, is this really what God's plan is to, to split up our family? It was a difficult time. And to cut a long story short, they went. And it was extremely difficult. We cried a lot. They cried a lot. And yet, as the years, as the time went by, they blossomed. It was a wonderful Christian, loving Christian school. And it seemed as though our bond as a family, the, the times that we had together in the holiday, uh, were incredible. And our bond as a family seemed to get even stronger and blossom, even though they were, uh, it was very difficult and they were away for a lot of the time. As time went by, there never was, there never was a, a light bulb sort of moment, as we sometimes speak of, but there was a gradual dawning on us that God was teaching us a really significant and important lesson. It was as if he was saying to us, did you think that I would send you to Africa and not look after your children? It was the only condition that you made when you went to the mission. It was the only thing that you couldn't give me. And now look at how I've blessed you. It was such a powerful 
lesson to us, and it's one that we really work hard at not forgetting. We sometimes, I sometimes in the mission committee met with um, individuals, and it was a wonderful privilege to explore their sense of calling uh, to mission. And sometimes people would say, you know, we're thinking of giving two years to mission, or one year, or how often I, I tried to encourage them. Uh, God is, is a great career planner. <laughs> Just leave it to him. Give your lives to him. And he will, he knows, he has your best interests at heart. In the second letter to the Corinthians, uh, Paul gives an account of the generosity of the churches in Macedonia. He said that despite their extreme poverty, there was a rich generosity in this community. And he said, for I testify that they give as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. That's what they were like, these people. But then he explains why. They give themselves first to the Lord. That's the explanation that he has. Why did these poor Christians in Macedonia provide for the needs of others so liberally? Because they give themselves first to the Lord. Sometimes I think when we're talking of giving in the church, we don't start at the right place. We talk of, uh, we would like to encourage you to give um, X amount or a tithe to the church. And, and I think we can quite easily give the impression, well, actually, you know, this is all yours, and, and, and we, what we're asking for is you to kind of give a little bit to us. Paul's starting point is to give everything. They give themselves all that they had, all that they were, all of their gifts, they give them. And when that happens, people, we will, we will hold lightly of what God has entrusted to us. First, they gave themselves to the Lord. When we first went to Uganda, I think we were rather like the children of Israel wandering through the desert. They were constantly aware of how they had to depend on God. <laughs> there wasn't really much choice. God provided their food because there wasn't any other food. They had to depend on them day by day. And it was a bit like that for us. Even going on a journey, and some of you, of course, have been to these countries, and you know what it's like. The roads are treacherous. The potholes are a lot worse than Surrey. Surreys are pretty bad. Uh, the, the vehicles are dangerous, and if you have an accident, there isn't an ambulance to come and, uh, and sort you out. So you were very aware day by day of that danger and many others. And of course, just taking that as an example, so every time we went on a journey, we would pray. And it was a great tradition of people who, if we had visitors to come to us, we went to their car with them as they left, and we prayed for their journey, because you were acutely aware of how much you depended on God day by day, for that and many, many other things. So after 13 years of living like that, we came back to UK, uh, to Guildford. 
Let me go back to the children of Israel. At the end of their wanderings, at the end of the 40 years, the book of Deuteronomy opens with the people of God camped at the boundary. Behind them, the wilderness, 40 years of living depending on God for everything day by day, 40 years of failing and everything else, but knowing by then that God is faithful. But here they are camped at the boundary of the promised land. And in those chapters, God describes what this new land is going to be like. The new land that he wants to give them and he wants to bless them with. So here, here's his, God's description of it to them. This is a land of plenty. This is a land of vineyards where wheat and barley will grow. There are springs of water. There's iron in the rocks and you can dig copper in this land. This is a land where your herds and your flocks will multiply. And you will build fine houses and settle down. No more tents. And you get in these chapters an insight, as it were, if I can put it like that, into God's internal struggle. He wants to give his people all these wonderful blessings. You can... This is what he's been building toward. But at the boundary, he has them pause. And the reason for the pause is, in effect, what he's saying is this. What a terrible irony it would be if when you get into this land of plenty and I give you all these good things, if those very things are the means of turning you away from me, and you, the danger is that you will forget that it is God who provides your daily bread. You'll forget that actually you depend on him as much in that land of plenty as you did in the wilderness. But it just won't be so obvious. And, it's, and, and at one point, as if anticipating a future generation who may in retirement look at their wealth and their property and their assets and say, look how successful I've been. This is what he says in, in Deuteronomy 8, 17, 8 uh, and 17. God says to them, you may say to yourself, haven't I, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Have you ever heard that, or words to that effect? You may say to yourself, look at what I've done. But remember, God says, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It is he who gives you the ability to acquire these things as you work. Not just the things that you have to enjoy, but the ability that you have to inquire them. It is all of grace. It is all God's provision. Entitlement to position of power or wealth 
has no place in the people of God. So the challenge for the people of God and the challenge for us as we came to live in Guildford was how we maintain that life of faith in the land of plenty. How do we maintain that constant sense of dependency on God in the land of, so, of such resources? I think it requires, like those Christians in Macedonia, a daily, daily giving ourselves to God. And when I do give myself to God, I am giving my ambitions, my family, my wealth, my assets, my hopes, my dreams, my career, my retirement when it comes, everything I'm giving to Him when I give myself to God. And when I do that, in increasing measure, I discover more and more day by day that the Lord is good. His love endures forever, and His faithfulness continues through all generations. May God teach us that more and more and give us the courage day by day to entrust our lives to Him. Amen.